ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಕಾರಣ ತಂ ನಮ್ಯಹಂ So in our study of Aparoksha Anubhuti, we are at an interesting juncture. I think we had completed verse 44 and we are going to start verse 45. Advaita Vedanta, non-dual Vedanta, can be summarized in one sentence and it, it has in fact been summarized in one famous sentence. Um, Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya Jeeva Brahmhevanapara. this is something which is uh, pretty well known in india almost everybody sort of parrot like repeats it what does it mean brahman alone is real the world is an appearance and then who am i the individual is none other than brahman brahman is real the world is an appearance and the individual being us we are none other than brahman and if you have a doubt so am i real or am i am i an appearance you're saved you are you are real <laughs> now in our study of vedanta what we had done aparoksha anubhuti what had happened what has happened till now is that um shankaracharya has shown us the last part of the sentence how am i brahman how are we brahman the individual is brahman jeeva brahmaiva the individual is none other than brahman that has been shown by shankaracharya till now um how did he show that if you remember he gave us a series of arguments to show why we are not the body why we are not the mind and how we are the unchanging witness consciousness chaitanya witness consciousness that's what we are now comes the first part of that statement and the really radical part of that not only are we pure consciousness but what we thought is separate from us the world the body and even the mind now they are going to show that this body world and our minds too are appearances they are not real in themselves they are nothing other than brahman one thing we must remember in vedanta when you say something is false something is an appearance something is not real what it means is that has no existence apart from the reality so when vedanta says the world is false they are not denying that we experience the world nobody can deny that we are experiencing it right now if some somebody comes no matter how great the philosopher comes and says you are not experiencing the world you can just walk away i can't accept that i'm experiencing something but what vedanta does is question the reality of the experience uh does not question that that you are experiencing something but questions the reality of the experience does not say that you did not see a snake but did you really see was it really a snake that you saw or was it a rope is this a world and as individuals which we take without questioning or is it brahman and what vedanta aims to show what it's beginning to show now from now onwards is that what we are experiencing as the world and as us the subject and the object both of these both the objective world and us the experiencing subjects 
Both of these are nothing other than Brahman. In Vivekananda's words, one alone exists, one only exists. It appears as nature, soul. Soul means individual, experiencing individual. Nature means the entire world, including our bodies and minds. So, now in that process, how do they do this? They will show us, philosophically, through subtle arguments, they will show us how what we are experiencing is nothing other than Brahman, the ultimate reality. Now, one thing I'd like to point out here, this is not just dry philosophy, no matter how interesting it is, they have a very deep spiritual aim in mind. It's not just um, dialectics, it's not just reasoning for the sake of reasoning, just an interesting philosophy, but it's something that's deeply, intimately connected with our spiritual lives. How so? How is all this connected with our spiritual lives? To realize the reality, to experience God or realize Brahman, to realize that we are Brahman. You see, the main problem is that our attention is entirely on the world. Our attention is on the world out there, our attention is on our bodies, our attention is on our minds and that's all that we consider to be real. Our attention is on the ornament, not on the gold. Our attention is on the table, not on the wood. So, the first thing that has to be done is, the attention has to be removed from the, has to be, to stop, take our eyes off the false and focus on the real. Take our eyes from the finite and focus on the infinite. Take our eyes from the duality, from the vision of duality to the vision of non-duality. From the not-self, anatma in Sanskrit, to the self, the real capitalist self. Just yesterday, um, somebody forwarded to me a very interesting article published in the well-known uh, magazine, The Atlantic. This is a magazine, The Atlantic. A cognitive scientist, right here, our next door neighbor uh, in UC Irvine. Um, his name is Hoffman. Now, there's an interview with this scientist and what he is saying is, what our senses reveal to us, the world, is absolutely illusory. It's an illusion. The reality is not revealed by our senses. Now, why should this be, um, why should this be difficult to understand? Because, till now, the idea was that our senses have been generated by evolution. Right? So all animals, including our senses, our eyes, ears, and all our sense organs, are products of evolution, and they are there to give us an evolutionary advantage. And the thinking was, till now, till very recently, the thinking was, if the senses did not report reality, then the animal wouldn't survive. If the senses reported something else and the world was something else, then the animal wouldn't fit in the world and wouldn't survive long enough. And so it wouldn't transmit its uh, genes across generations. Therefore, if we have survived for thousands and thousands of years, if our senses are the product of thousands of years of evolution, then our senses do fit the environment, so they repeat, they, they report to us the reality of the environment. That was the thinking. And he says, not at all. 
what the senses have been evolved to do is to make us fit for survival. And we go, yes, that's what we are saying. And being fit for survival is quite different from understanding reality. He gives an example uh, in that interview itself. Now, out there, see a body of water. There may be very little water, there may be just some amount of water, and there may be a lot of water. Now, very little water means the animal would perish. Lot of water means the animal might drown. Just the right amount of water is uh, what the animal needs to survive. Now, if the senses were neutral, it would report things exactly as they are. But the senses are designed for survival. So, if there's something dangerous, that will be magnified. If there's something insignificant, that will be reduced. Uh, you know, it will report only that which is necessary for the animal to survive, not things as they are outside. So, what we will see act actually is not quite what is there outside. He gives a more detailed explanation. So our senses are not reporting what's out there. And then he goes deeper in that article itself. Two huge problems in quantum mechanics, which I don't claim to understand, and in neuroscience, which again I don't claim to understand much, but the two big problems right now they are saying is, Neuroscientists are confronted with what is called the hard problem of consciousness. This is uh, in an intractable problem. They, are, have, they have absolutely no idea how to tackle it. How is it that a material world is represented in first-person experience? Things out there, but we experience it within ourselves in consciousness. We do not go out there and experience things. So how does a physical world get a subjective first-person experience. How, do, how is it done? This thing, they either try to explain it away or uh, they say we, we have no way of understanding this. That's one side of the problem. And the other side of the problem, what the scientist has said in the interview, uh, Hoffman, he says that um, in all our experiments in quantum mechanics, it goes to show that the idea of a solid objective reality out there, if that's what you start with as your model, it does not work. It does not match with our understanding of physics. In both ways, neuroscience studying the subject and quantum mechanics studying the universe, both are converging upon the observer, upon, amazingly enough, consciousness. So, um, Two points which we are studying in Advaita Vedanta. Brahman is the only reality and Brahman as we know according to Advaita Vedanta is pure consciousness. And the world is an appearance. Pure consciousness is the only reality, the world is an appearance. I am not saying what the neuroscientist has said, uh, the cognitive scientist has said is what Vedanta has been saying all along. But the parallels are, are uh, not only interesting, I'd say they are uncanny. That today we are coming Come, we are con converging on some kind of understanding which we are unable to express right now. But it is very interesting. I wrote to, I was excited about this article, so I wrote to a, fr a friend of mine who is a very well-known philosopher, an expert in Advaita Vedanta. And he says, it does, uh, what do you think of this article? And he wrote back to me today saying that uh, it does not surprise me. Advaita Vedanta, his words, 
Advaita Vedanta is not a belief system. It's based on experience and reason. It's something that's based on experience and reason and he says replicated in thousands by thousands of yogis over the millennia. They have found this again and again. And it's been, sharp, it's been experienced and sharpened by philosophical reason. Alright, I can go on and on, but let's get on with the text. The 45th verse, which is exactly what we have been talking about. Upadanam prapanchasya Upadanam prapanchasya Brahmano anyanna vidyate Brahmano anyanna vidyate Tasmat sarva prapanchoyam Tasmat sarva prapanchoyam Brahmhevastina chetarat what does this verse mean? This entire world of experience, universe of our experience, in Sanskrit, prapancha. This entire universe of our experience, the material of this universe, the substance of this universe, there is nothing other than Brahman. There is nothing other than Brahman which could be the substance of this universe. We'll discuss why so. Therefore, he says, Tasmat, this entire universe is nothing but Brahman. This entire universe is nothing but Brahman. There's only Brahman. This universe of experience is only Brahman. Or it is nothing. Take your pick. It's false or it's Brahman. Not a separate universe out there. I remember Swami Virajanandaji, who was the... Um, a great monk of our order and the president of our order, saying, a remarkable statement, this entire universe is presented to my experience. Therefore, either I am all of it or none of it. Entire universe is presented to your experience. By entire universe, he means the physical universe out there, your own body and your mind. All of it you experience at once. And therefore, he says, by that logic, I'm all of this or none of this. The agyani, the ignorant person, thinks that he or she is this much only, up to this body and not anything else. I am this, a part of reality presented to us. That's who I am, this limited creature and not anything else. Whereas, from the point of view of the enlightened person, I am none of it, or I am all of it. That's the difference. Brahman is, is the substance of this entire universe. The logic goes like this. Brahman is existence, consciousness, bliss. And Brahman is unchanging. And Brahman is the cause of this universe. Because of Brahman, this entire universe appears. That's the understanding in not only Vedanta, in every religion. Whenever you have a theistic religion, God is said to be the cause of the universe. Everywhere, God is the creator of the universe. In Vedanta also, Brahman is the, uh, is the cause, but the understanding of cause is very, very sophisticated here. Now put these ideas together. Brahman is existence, consciousness, bliss. Brahman is unchanging. Brahman is the cause of the universe. And 
Brahman being the cause of the universe and Brahman being unchanging, together these two ideas lead to an interesting consequence. When Brahman is the cause of the universe, you can ask, does Brahman change into the universe? Or does Brahman produce a universe separate from it? To produce something separate from it, the cause must change and produce something. There must be some change in the cause. But Brahman cannot change. So the universe is not something separate from Brahman. Is it Brahman itself which has changed into the universe? But we just said Brahman is not subject to change. Brahman is defined in such a way which is not subject to change. If Brahman is not subject to change and yet Brahman is the cause of the universe, that means Brahman is the cause of the universe without changing. Brahman is the cause of the universe without changing. Therefore, Brahman remaining as Brahman appears as the universe. Let me repeat the chain of reasoning. Brahman, by definition, is unchanging. Brahman also, by definition, is the cause of the universe. Now the question is, did Brahman change into the universe? Did Brahman produce a separate universe? But because Brahman is unchanging as the cause of the universe, it must have caused the universe without changing. The only way it could have done so is Brahman remaining as Brahman, it only appears as the universe. Therefore, what appears right now as a universe is nothing other than Brahman. What we experience as a universe is nothing other than Brahman. One Swami in the Himalayas, he put it so powerfully. He said, Vedanta does not say that before the universe crea was created, there was Brahman. Something called Brahman was there. It does not say that when you become enlightened or when the universe is finally dissolved and destroyed, then there will be Brahman again. Now it's a universe. Some people think like that. If you read the Upanishad directly, you get that kind of an impression. There was something called Brahman and then there was this universe. But no. The Swami put it so powerfully. He says, what you see with your eyes now, what you hear with your ears now, what you touch, what you smell, what you taste, this experience of the universe which you are having right here is Brahman. It is Brahman alone appearing to you in this way. Brahman is the very material of our universe experience, world experience. It's the very substance. Because here is meant not like a carpenter is the cause of the table, but rather like the wood is the cause of the table. Wood in the sense, the material cause. In Sanskrit, upadana karana. A little bit of Vedanta philosophy and terminology here. Brahman in itself, pure existence, pure consciousness, pure bliss, is called Nirguna Brahman, the attributeless Brahman. This attributeless Brahman is no question of any universe appearing there. But once we have this universe appearing and Brahman being the only reality, this universe must be in some sense related to Brahman. So we say Brahman is the, is the cause of this universe. In Sanskrit, Abhinna Nimitta Upadana Karana. Brahman is the undifferentiated material and instrumental cause or inter, uh, intelligent cause of the universe. Wood and carpenter rolled into one. <laughs> Brahman alone appears as this universe. Now, to explain the universe appearance, we say Brahman has a power called Maya. Maya is nothing other than which makes the word Brahman appear in this way. So Brahman plus Maya 
is what is called in Vedanta Brahman with attributes, Saguna Brahman. Otherwise known as, familiar to everybody in the world, as Mr. God. G-O-D, God, the God of religion, is Brahman plus Maya, pure existence, consciousness, bliss, with the power of Maya, now capable of appearing as this universe. That is what is God, according to Vedanta. So here are two concepts, Nirguna Brahman, the pure, attributeless Brahman, the only reality, according to Advaita Vedanta. And Saguna Brahman, which is also reality, but with the component of Maya. Now the Saguna Brahman, or God, is capable of creating, within quotes creating, rather better word is Srishti, projection. So what does Saguna Brahman do? It uses Maya to project itself as the universe. Brahman itself appears as the universe you are experiencing, and even more interestingly, Brahman itself appears as you, the experiencer. So that's the idea behind saying that Brahman is the material of this universe. Upadanam prapanchasya brahmano anyanna vidyati. There is no other material in this universe apart from Brahman. So what is the material, substance of the universe? It cannot be anything other than Brahman. Therefore, the universe which we are experiencing is none other than Brahman. You will say, why not? Why isn't there any other material for the universe? We have plenty of quarks and protons and neutrons and stuff like that, or super strings, or whichever is the latest fashion in cosmology. Why only Brahman, whatever it is? But remember, Brahman is defined as existence. Brahman is defined as existence. So if you say it's something other than Brahman, then you're saying it's something other than existence. If something is other than existence, what happens to it? Something other than existence? Non-existence, exactly, non-existence. So if whatever that we experience, if you say it is other than Brahman, you're saying it's non-existent. If you are saying, if it is not non-existence, if you say it exists, it must be the same as Brahman. And yet nothing looks like Brahman to us. We don't even know what Brahman should look like, if anything at all. So, only thing we can say is, Brahman is appearing in this form. Okay. Now, the next verse. Same theme continues. Vyapya Vyapakata Mithya Vyapya Vyapakata Mithya Sarvam Atmeti Shasanat Sarvam Atmeti Shasanat Iti Jnate Pare Tattve Iti Jnate Pare Tattye Bhedasyava Sarakutaha Bhedasyava Sarakutaha the idea of something pervading something else is false. You see, he's knocking down all our, um, the way we express Vedanta. We have heard so many times in the study of Vedanta, Brahman is the ultimate reality which pervades the universe. It's once, the whole universe is pervaded by one spiritual reality. That's what we understand by immanence. Immanence means the spiritual reality is right here. It's not just transcendent, but it's also right here. So, Vivekananda said, the Hindus worship a transcendent, immanent God. But transcendent means entirely other. Here is creation, we are there, universe is here, and God or Brahman, whatever, is something entirely beyond this universe. 
That's transcendence. And immanence is, Brahman is right here in all of, all of this. And the language used is, uh, Brahman pervades everything. So everywhere there's Brahman, Brahman pervades everything. And what Shankaracharya here says here is startling. He says the idea of pervasion is false. What does it mean? Basically what he's trying to say here is, when you say pervade, there's milk, you pour sugar in it, and then you stir it well, then the whole of milk becomes sweet. You taste it at the top, it's sweet, in the middle it's sweet, and the bottom it's sweet. What happened? Sugar has pervaded the milk. It's not relevant, but I can't, I, I can't help telling this. Many years ago, about 16 or 17 years ago, in one of our schools in India, um, run by our order, in Jamshedpur, little kids were putting up a show, a, a cultural program, and, and they were very, very small kids. I think um, they were grade one or two or something like that. And uh, we were guests, the parents were there, were there, the teachers and the monks had been invited. I was also there. And one of the little things was a little skit where the little boys and girls, they have dressed up as different things, you know, like the sun and the moon and whatnot. And all they have to do is come up on stage in front boldly and say, I'm the sun or I'm the moon. Um, I give light, a heat and warmth or I give light at night, things like that. That's just one or two lines. Who am I and what do I do? I need to say that. And they are very, very cute, nicely dressed up. Now, there was this little boy, when it was his turn, he had, he had dressed up as sugar. <laughs> and he looked so terrified, you know, because of all the people staring at him. Uh, and he was absolutely frozen. All he had to say was, I'm sugar and I'm sweet. <laughs> And he, he didn't move. And so there was this other girl who was right behind him who gave him a shove, you know, in front and pushed him forward. So he stumbled forward and blurted out, I'm sugar and I'm sweet, and he didn't burst into tears. <laughs> and everybody shouted, yes, you are, you're sweet, sweet. So the whole milk becomes sweet because now we say that sugar has pervaded the milk. Sugar has pervaded the milk. It's all over the... So there is something called sugar, there is something called milk, and one has pervaded the other. You light incense here, very soon you will smell the incense all over the room. You uh, um, light up this, this uh, electric light and the whole uh, room is illumined. So incense has pervaded the air in the room and you can smell it everywhere. Or the light has illumined the room and you can see light everywhere. So there are two things, incense and room, or light and the room, one pervades the other. And here he says, no, it's not like that. It's not like there is a world and there is Brahman and one pervades the other, this is false. It's rather like water and wave. In water a wave is born. Now if I say water pervades the wave, it's an entirely different thing because there is no wave apart from the water. In fact, when I say the water pervades the wave, all I mean is the wave is only water. If I say the wood pervades this table, all I mean is it's not that there is one something called a table and it is pervaded by something else called wood, like sugar and milk. No. All I mean is really this table is wood. 
So when you say Brahman pervades this universe, what you mean is not that there is a universe and Brahman has somehow become everything or is inside everything, is pervading everything. No. What it, what it means is Brahman is this universe. We always attempted to ask that if that's so, then everything is Brahman. Yes, we are making such a radical statement. If everything is Brahman, how come I, per I perceive nothing as Brahman? How come I perceive nothing as Brahman? And Vedanta tells you something incredible. It says that you are actually perceiving, within quotes, you are perceiving Brahman. Only you do not recognize it. It's right here in our experience. We just don't recognize it. What Vedanta tells us is, what Vedanta is going to do is introduce us to ourselves. We know ourselves as Mr. or Swami so and so, and now Vedanta is going to introduce us to ourselves as Brahman. The reason we do not understand this, the reason we do not perceive ourselves as Brahman is because of ignorance. The journey is not, you know, I often say, if Brahman is all-pervasive, then Brahman is here. If Brahman is eternal, then Brahman is now. And if Brahman is nothing in this world apart from Brahman, then Brahman is in everything, including myself. Then, the journey to Brahman, realizing Brahman, is not a physical journey. It's not going from one place to another, from earth to heaven. No. It's not a journey in time. Now I am in this earthly form and one day, maybe after death, a post-mortem Brahman will be realized. No. Not in time. Not even in another object. I am a human being and I want to find out something called Brahman. Me and Brahman. No. Right here, right now, myself. So the journey is not a physical journey. Not in, not in space, not in time, not from one object to another, not from the self to another. Rather, the journey is from ignorance to knowledge. That's why it's called the path of knowledge, Jnana Yoga. It's extraordinarily simple and extraordinarily difficult also at the same time. Yes. But here all he's saying is, examine the, uh, the notion of one thing pervading another. It's false. It doesn't work with Brahman. There is only Brahman appearing as a world. It's not Brahman pervading the world. Iti jnate paretyatve. When one realizes this ultimate secret, bhedasyavasarakkutha, where is the gap, the difference? What is difference? The three things I spoke about. Space, time and object. Difference in space. Here is the earth and I shall attain religion and spirituality in another place called heaven. No. Difference in time. Here is now. I will attain God or whatever after my death. No. After enlightenment. No. Not even after enlightenment. That's how radical non-dual Vedanta is. After enlightenment, you only get to know. Enlightenment, to know. To, it, the bulb comes on. But the reality, when, when one becomes enlightened, does one thing that, oh, I was Swami, now I am Brahman. No, no, no. One realizes, I was always Brahman. I was always Brahman. Even when the notion was there that I am a limited individual being. Even then, I was absolutely Brahman, all the time. So, Bhedasyavasarakkuta, where is the 
where is the occasion for difference? Bheda means difference. No difference in space, no difference in time, no difference in object. Right here, right now, you yourself. Then 47. Shrutya nivaritam nunam Shrutya nivaritam nunam Nanatvam swamukhe nahi Nanatvam swamukhe nahi Katham bhaso bhavedanya Katham bhaso bhavedanya Sthite chadvayakarani Sthite chadvayakarani Shrutya by the Upanishad Shruti means Upanishad. By the Upanishad, Nivaritam, denied, negated. Nunam, definitely. Nanatvam, plurality. Plurality has been negated clearly by the Upanishad. Swamukhena, by its, its own tongue, in, in, by itself. Directly the Upanishad says, there is no diversity here, in reality. Neha nanasti kinchana, the Upanishad says. Here, in this world of experience, there is no plurality. Nana, plurality. You'll immediately protest. There's so much plurality. There are millions and millions of entities. Yes, but all of them are in reality. In ignorance, millions of entities. In reality, one, rea one entity only, and that's you. You alone appear as all of this. Example is, if you count the benches here, the pews here, you will get maybe 20. And if you count it from the point of view of the wood, which constitutes the pews, how many will you get? One. One substance, and also not only one substance, the pews are not different from that substance called wood. In other words, wood is non-dual with regard to the pews. In other words, the pews are in the non-dual substance called wood. How can there be many? I am translating exactly. Katam bhaso bhavedanya. How can, bhasa means appearance. How can this appearance be any different from Brahman? Sthite chadvayakarane. Being established in the non-dual cause. Being established, follow this. Being established, being nothing other than the wood. How can the twenty pews actually be twenty? From the point of view of the wood which constitutes these pews, they are all one. What? Wood. Taken separately? Many. And the wood is non-dual with regard to all these pews. Non-dual means, apart from the wood, there is no second thing called a pew here. Apart from the water, there is no second thing called a wave. Let alone tens of thousands of waves, there is no second thing called a wave also, apart from the water. Apart from pure existence, consciousness, place, there is no second thing called a universe. Let alone billions of entities. All of them, if they are anything at all, they must be Brahman, the non-dual reality. Okay. Then 48. We'll do a couple of more quickly and then go to questions. So now he's actually quoting from the Upanishads to show that Brahman is the only reality according to the Upanishads. 48. Dosho pi vihita shrutya, Dosho pi vihita shrutya, 
मृत्युर्मृत्युम स गृत्युर्मृत्यु स गह पश्यति ना इह पश्यति ना मयया वंचितो नर मयया वंचितो नर द उपनिषद सेज सम राधर स्केरी थिंग्स द वन हु सीज प्लुरैलिटी हियर दैट वन गोज फ्रॉम डेथ टू डेथ उपनिषद इट सेल्फ सेज देर इज अ ग्रेट प्रॉब्लम इन सीइंग प्लुरैलिटी इफ वन सेज दैट Okay, so here there there is a world of uh, plurality, and you are saying there is something called Brahman. Might be. What good is it to me? What good does it do to me? Enormous good. If I inhabit this world of plurality with the vision of plurality, and I'm not concerned with Brahman non-duality, what problem is there? Enormous problems. All our suffering is because we take the plurality to be the reality. I'm. using my words choosing my words very carefully because we take the apparent plurality to be the final reality we are we suffer how do we suffer how does it work the moment i see this variety not realizing brahman i see a variety and only the variety does the person who realizes brahman will he not he or she not see the um, variety they will but they will know it is brahman so in reality the person knows that it is brahman and then enjoys the variety but for us this variety is reality we have no sense of the underlying brahman that i am all of this no no not knowing ourselves as brahman what do we see a mind and a body then then we consider this mind and body to be my, me i am this mind and body then then every limitation of the mind and body is mine the body ages i am getting old the body sickens i am sick the body dies i will die the mind wants things desires i want things mind gets frustrated i am frustrated mind gets angry i am angry anger frustration um, you know desire all of that comes to me because i think i am the mind i think i am the body therefore i age i i have subject to disease and death and decay so all the problems of the world come upon me because i am identified with this particular individual being identified with this particular individual i act in the world for what reason do i act for preserving this little entity why do i want to preserve this little entity because i think i am this when this dies i am gone i must protect this i must do everything in life to make this thing happy it hasn't worked till today for nobody nobody it has worked in all of history nobody has succeeded and yet we do it we don't see anything else because what else i am this we never question this and acting thus to protect this little individuality we generate karma cause and effect we set into motion an inexorable machine cause and effect we do good things and bad things and generate merits and demerits punya and papa which will inevitably inescapably give effects what will be the effects good good bad bad and none escape the law song of the sanyasin vivekananda and we are trapped in the jaws of this machine 
not just this life this life only if it were so this life is over karma has not been exhausted so karma will give rise to other lives other bodies other experiences and the machine goes on grinding inexorably we are caught so the upanishad says from death to death he goes who sees plurality here upanishad could have been kinder what it means is we are stuck in the cycle of birth and death so it could have said you goes we go from birth to birth but birth to birth is kinder it it wants to make it more stark you will go from death to death the one who sees plurality here one who does not realize the underlying reality remember here one thing has to be realized that the one the enlightened person also sees plurality but does not consider the plurality to be real the enlightened person knows all this plurality is nothing but brahman if he is a devotee he will think of it as god my beloved is all of this or might think of i indeed am all of this i am the ocean in which all this appears and being one with everything it swallows up everything sureshwar acharya in his commentary on shankaracharya's dakshinamurti stotram uh, is a great non dualist the senior disciple a very scholarly disciple of shankaracharya he says the if you can swallow the universe then you are enlightened so how can i swallow the universe i might eat a lot i might even be the world's greatest glutton but i can't swallow the universe you swallow the universe means you know that you are existence then anything that exists is in you it cannot be other than you if you know yourself as water water swallows the entire pacific ocean because the entire pacific ocean is in water and say so, no swami water is in the pacific ocean not at all think about it the ocean is in water not uh, water in the ocean the ocean may disappear water will still exist it may exist as clouds in the air we have had clouds thank god after a long gap we had got some rains last last week so swallowing up the entire ocean means uh, entire universe means the vision of plurality disappears into non duality you see everything as non dual no second thing apart from you the real you existence consciousness bliss okay so he says iha pashyati nanatvam the one who sees plurality here goes from death to death how does this problem get solved if you do not see plurality if one sees non duality here then what does one know oneself as i am the non dual brahman no longer knowing that i am this body and mind the body and mind still continues for the enlightened person the enlightened person knows just as all those bodies and minds are appearances in me existence consciousness place so also this particular body and mind is an appearance in me so the ego does not function there as that as ego does not tie the enlightened person to this body and mind hence the enlightened person will not work for the gratification of one body and mind if the enlightened person works at all it will be is what is called nishkama karma for the welfare of the universe without any personal no axe to grind no axe to grind it's for the welfare of others so all great spiritual masters they have worked tremendously but you know vivekananda i think he said i have not done one thing for myself 
who was it? I just remember reading recently. Either Vivekananda or one of the direct disciples says, I, in this life I have not done one thing for, for myself. So that's the uh, sign of an enlightened person. They don't want anything. Why should they do anything for themselves? Nothing. Not even enlightenment. Shankaracharya sings, na dharmo na chartho na kamo na moksha. I don't want kama, pleasure. I don't want artha, wealth and success and power. I don't even want dharma, the, the, the merit which will take me to heaven. Because I don't want heaven also. I don't even want enlightenment, moksha, ultimate freedom. Because I am Brahman. Does Brahman want moksha? No. So not working for oneself, one is set free from the chain of karma. Because I didn't complete that passage of Vivekananda. Good, good, bad, bad and none escape the law. But whosoever wears a form, wears the chain too. Form, body and mind. Chain, law of karma. Then he says, but far beyond name and form is Atman ever free. Existence, consciousness, bliss, ever free right now. Far beyond me, don't think it's out there, outside the room. It's you. Beyond body and mind means transcending body and mind. Right here in the body and mind, but transcending body and mind. Is, is Atman ever free? Know thou art that, sannyasi bold. Say Om, Tat Sat Om. Know that you are the Atman, not the body and mind. Immediately you are set free from the bonds of karma. The cause and effect, you go beyond cause and effect. And hence, this plurality will not affect you. You will not be caught. You will not go from death to death. No more is birth, no more is death for that person. One more verse, we are done. 49. Brahmana Sarva Bhutani Brahmana Sarva Bhutani Jayante Paramatmana Jayante Paramatmana Tasmadetani Brahmheva Tasmadetani Brahmheva Bhavantityavadharayet Bhavantityavadharayet From Brahman are all these beings born. Born means don't take it literally. They are not born like, uh, you know, uh, chickens being born from eggs. No, not like that. They appear in Brahman, more like waves in water. They appear in Brahman, their appearances. Therefore, these are nothing other than Brahman. This you, avadharayat, think about it, understand this well, that whatever one experiences is nothing other than Brahman. It's a profound thing just to explore this. Vivekananda said, never approach anything except as God. Any person in your life, any event in your life, anything in your life, good, bad, ugly, never approach anything in, uh, except as God. If you approach anything or anyone except as God, you are already living in falsity. I didn't translate one part of it in the 48th verse. Mayaya vanchito nara. Man or a human being, individual being, deceived by Maya, misled by Maya, considers this to be a plurality. So you consider anything to be apart from God, we are already in the realm of Maya, being misled. So never consider anything to be apart from God. It's an enormous thing. When Sri Ramakrishna said, 
Shivagyana Jiva Seva. Knowing all beings to be Shiva, serve them. Worship. Worship Shiva in all, in all Jiva, living beings. How will you worship God in all beings? By Seva, by, by service. So service to all beings in the knowledge that they are God. This is exactly what is being said here. Consider well, understand this well, that all beings you come across are nothing other than Brahman. Questions? There's a question there. So if um, Shankara said that he's not interested in anything, uh, not even heaven, not even enlightenment, and then looking at the 49th verse, if um, whatever one experiences is nothing but Brahman, couldn't you say that, uh, that enlightenment, uh, it's not necessary to, to even attempt enlightenment because uh, for the very fact that we're already enlightened and we know this by our experience. Alright, this question is, if I'm already Brahman, should I try for enlightenment? Right, if I want to summarize your question. Yeah. Shankara's answer there is very interesting. This question was in fact asked to him. In, in the Gita Bhashya it's there. He says, um, who is asking you to attempt enlightenment? Mm -hmm. Why do we at all seek all this? Why are we wasting a perfectly good uh, Tuesday evening? Missing out on TV and all sorts of... This is Hollywood! Why sit here? Uh, Christopher Isherwood writes in his... When he first started coming here in the 1950s probably. Um, he writes that there is a wonderful place in Hollywood, but it's difficult to find. It's near Ivar, but it's difficult to find. It's as if hidden by Maya. Hollywood is hidden in this place. It means the Vedanta temple. He writes that. Why at all are we doing this? We are doing it because of suffering. We have not found the solution to our questions in worldly life. There's nothing here which gives us the answers to our questions. There's nothing here which solves the human condition. Men live lives of quiet desperation. Live and struggle and die. That's what's there for everybody. Is there anything more than this? When this question comes, then only we come to this path. Path of spiritual, uh, the spiritual quest starts really for us. Until we overcome suffering, I am, not, I am not swayed by philosophy no matter how nice and wonderful. I want the result. I really want to see my suffering overcome. I want to see a vivid overcoming of the, the, the desperation of the human condition. When I see that as a fact in my own life and I can claim I have at the very least solved my own problem, then only I can say I am enlightened. I have nothing more to seek. Until that time, this is, no matter how wonderful, it still remains a wonderful philosophy. Something very clever and nice, but um, nice to know, but not yet a fact. Not yet a vividly experienced fact. 
One must experience this, actually. You say, you are experiencing it. All right, then I must actually recognize it, acknowledge it. Have I been able to acknowledge it? Can I say with all honesty, I am Brahman? Shankaracharya sings, Chidananda Rupaha Shivoham. I am consciousness and bliss. I am Shiva. Can I say that I am Shiva now? Very difficult. So until we get the results of this enlightenment, at least in our own lives, until that point the quest must go on. Until that point we cannot claim that we are enlightened. Remember, Advaita does not say we are enlightened. Advaita says we are Brahman. We are not knowing that fact for a reality, unenlightened. Knowing that fact for a reality, enlightened. Question? Uh, I had one more question. Okay. Um, if, the, if the wood is reality yes. and the pews are plurality, yes. can we say that plurality is simply ideas? Um, if the wood is reality and the pews are plurality, can we say plurality is ideas? Um, you can, in fact, in the words of the Upanishads, Chandogya Upanishad, it says plurality is name. Is name. It's language, it says. Uh, yes, there's a question here. I think it's a related question and you already answered it. I'm just trying to clarify a little bit more. So going back to the claim that everything is Brahman and Brahman is like bliss, existence, we can also say suffering, pap, punya, everything is Brahman too. Yes. So in that case, it's a, like any path should be able to take us to the Brahman. It doesn't need to be punya path or good path only. Okay, here's the question. If everything is Brahman, then good and evil both are Brahman. So why should I go on the path of the good? Why not in the evil? Anything should take us to Brahman. If everything is Brahman. Alright, this question has to be unpacked. First of all, when we say everything is Brahman, a more precise formulation of the Advaitic position would be everything is not, Brahman only is. Advaita is not saying that everything is Brahman. You said, Swami, you just said that. You're taking it back now. If somebody recorded it, they could play it back. You know that you said everything is Brahman. Now you're taking it back. It reminds me of Wittgenstein again, the great philosopher, Wittgenstein. He would do philosophy. You know, he, he would not teach from a textbook. He would come to class and then they would think aloud and they, their description of him as if he's struggling with something great inside. And what he would say would become philosophy. So people would write it down. And those notebooks are still being read as source of uh, philosophy today. Now, whatever you said, Professor, uh, did you, you said this and I want to clarify. And Wittgenstein would say, no, I didn't say it. And one of the students thought, I have to catch this guy. So he wrote down exactly what Wittgenstein had said. And in the next class said, Professor, you said this. And Wittgenstein, as usual, said, no, I didn't say that. And the student said, you did. Here are the words. I wrote it down exactly as you said it. And Wittgenstein said, yes, those are the words. You are, you are repeating my words, but you don't mean what I mean by those words. <laughs> Which is an important thing. Everything is Brahman. 
Advaita means that in only one particular sense. What is the sense? Advaita means everything is false, Brahman only is real. Mary Hale, an American disciple of Swami Vivekananda, who was a favorite of Swami Vivekananda, she wrote a poem to Swami Vivekananda saying that, I have understood what you have taught, that all is God. And he wrote back in verse to her, another poem, that I have never taught such strange things. <laughs> that all is God. And she was outraged. You've said it yourself so many times, that all is God. And then he wrote back, no, what I have taught is, all is not God only is. There's a great difference between all is God and all is not God only is. What are we saying here? Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya. Brahman alone is the reality and Jagat means everything. Everything is an appearance of that. So both the path of good and the path of bad, good and evil are appearances. Reality is Brahman. So that's the central point. Now why the path of good and why not the path of evil? From the point of view of Brahman, the path of evil is that which involves us more and more in samsara. The path of good is that which takes us away from samsara. That's why we have to catch hold of the path of good. Yeah. There's a question there. Swami, when we talk about uh, Advaita Vedanta as the culmination of the darshanas, um, that Brahman alone is, there's nothing else. Uh, and yet we know how we got there um, uh, through Sankhya, through uh, yoga and so forth. Uh, and uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, for example, are so dear to us. Um, the four parts of yoga, the four ways, um, they resonate with all Vedantins. Um, how does one reconcile the fact that it comes from a point of view that is so divided, uh, where uh, the Purusha uh, is what we would call consciousness, he likes, um, and the rest is Jada, including the mind. And the two are always separate. Um, Purusha can enliven, um, take on the colors of the red hibiscus, whatever, but different. And in Vedanta, which is a grand culmination, where everybody's uh, claim of having said, heard the teacher say something different is answered with, but all I said was Brahman only is. How do we then accommodate Patanjali's the Yoga Sutras as I said, so dear to us, so yes. important to us, with All such right. a schism there. Yes, there is. Remember, the schism is philosophical. When you are aiming for philosophical accuracy, precision, then you must be very clear about the differences, not try to lump everything together and say, everything, oh, it's all the same. Now, if you look at Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Vaisheshika talks about seven fundamental different types of, uh, fundamental categories of reality, seven. Nyaya talks about 16. Yoga and Sankhya, they talk about two, Purusha and Prakriti. And Advaita Vedanta talks of one. Non-one and non-dual, non not only just one. Ekam eva dvitiyam, one alone without a second. So you can see the progression from a plurality 
to duality to non-duality. Now, the professor of religion, Mircha Eliade, who was in Chicago, and he has written so wonderful books on yoga. He says the prototype philosophy is Sankhya, where the division is made between consciousness and matter, Purusha and Prakriti, and a clear duality is put forward. Matter is also real, space, time, energy, matter, all of that is real, that's nature, and consciousness is something separate from it, we are conscious. So these are the two fundamentals, and Sankhya leaves it clearly as a duality. According to Mircha Eliade, what he says is very interesting. From that duality, what Shankara did with it, Sankhya predates Shankara, Sankhya predates the Buddha. What Buddha did with it and what Shankara did with it, with, with the Sankhya. Buddha, uh, Sankhya uh, predates the Buddha because you read in the life of the Buddha the teachings which he got from his teachers before he became enlightened. Uh, Uddalaka, Ramaputta and some others are there. Clearly the descriptions are of teachings of Sankhya and Yoga. Yoga meditation techniques and Sankhya philosophy, he got it. He was not satisfied, he went further ahead. Now, Eliade points out how Buddha took this Sankhya philosophy and what he did was, he said, here is nature, it's in continuous change and flux. Anityam anityam sarvam anityam, everything is transient, everything passes away. Kshanikam, kshanikam, sarvam kshanikam. Momentary, momentary, everything is momentary. Shunyam, shunyam, sarvam shunyam. Void, void, everything is void. So, a transient, transient, everything transient. Momentary, momentary, everything momentary. Void, void, everything void. So from transience to momentariness to emptiness to the void. And what about Purusha? He kept quiet there. Buddha just kept quiet. Later on, Mahayana Buddhism developed the Purusha idea of consciousness into Alaya Vijnana and so on, or the clear light of the void. Um, so that is Buddhism. And what Shankara did with this, Purusha and Prakriti, consciousness and matter, is he made matter unreal. Brahman alone is real, and everything else unreal. Universe unreal, consciousness alone real. So consciousness alone is appearing as the universe. It's not that there is an unreal universe. The very words, there is an unreal universe, contradictory. How can there be something which is not there? So if universe is unreal, then what it is, is nothing other than consciousness appearing through maya, through the mechanism of maya, names and forms as this universe. Be that as it may. Practically, what does it amount to? In the Brahma Sutras, it's clearly said, etena yoga pratyuktaha, by this, the philosophy of yoga is refuted. Clearly it is said. We discard Sankhya and yoga. But, Shankaracharya makes it very clear there. What we discard is certain philosophical assertions of Sankhya and yoga. That consciousness and nature are two different realities. In, uh, they, are, they have their own ontological independence. No. We don't say that. The only thing that is ontologically primary is consciousness not matter. Um, but another thing that we refute is the plurality of selves. Many Purushas, according to Vedanta, there is only one Purusha, one self, which is all of us, we are one self. These are things which are refuted in Sankhya. But what is accepted? All the techniques of spiritual practice, 
the meditation techniques are welcome and accepted. They're true. Just, you just have to practice them and see that it's true. They work. So the techniques of yoga are accepted. And in fact, a good deal of Sankhyan cosmology is accepted as Vyavaharika Satya by empirical reality or transactional reality by Advaita Vedanta. Advaita Vedanta is indebted to Sankhya, though it refutes Sankhya. In fact, Advaita Vedanta is indebted to the whole of Indian philosophy. We are experts in borrowing things left and right and then putting it together and branding it Advaita Vedanta. We borrow the idea of pure consciousness from Sankhya. We borrow the meditation techniques from yoga. We borrow the epistemology, uh, the, the, um, the method of anumana, argumentation from Nyaya. We uh, borrow the categories of conventional reality uh, to some extent from Vaisheshika. And the entire hermeneutical tools for interpreting the Veda. After all, Advaita Vedanta is based on Upanishads. Upanishads are part of the Veda and the experts in Veda are Purvami Mamsakas. So entire hermeneutical uh, technology, how to interpret the Vedas, is borrowed entirely from Purvami Mamsakas. And taking all of that, we put it together, put the Brahman of the Upanishads on top and call it brand the whole thing as Advaita Vedanta. Uh, so that's what we have done. Good for us. <laughs> And we are also indebted to, uh, though many traditional Advaitins will be furious if I say this, we are indebted to Nagarjuna. There are many dialectical techniques which Advaita Vedanta, including Gaudapada Acharya, the techniques have been borrowed from, uh, sometimes terminology. In Mandukya Upanishad you find terminology borrowed from Madhyamaka, um, Mula Madhyamaka Karika. And certain techniques, logical techniques, which were borrowed from Advaita, uh, from Buddhism, even the Doctrine of two truths, Paramarthika Vyavaharika. Nagarjuna, 800 years before Shankaracharya, Nagarjuna in his Mula Madhyamaka Karika speaks of Paramartha Satyam and Samriti Satyam. The ultimate reality and Samriti is something like our Vyavaharika, transactional reality. So the two levels of truth, even that you can trace back to uh, Mahayana Buddhism. So... Um, I know what the traditional Advaitins will say, but anyway, we will not go into that. Mm -hmm. That's a good session. I think we had a good conversation today. <laughs> Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu